Wait, did we talk about that last time? Yeah, we talked about you getting COVID last time, right? <laughs> when are we? It's been so long. Like we kind of. It's been two. No, it's been two weeks. It's been two weeks. I don't think so. I had. I got. Jang- co- Jang- I got COVID the week before Chinese New Year. Oh shit! That's right. Yeah. People were, dude. People were pissed. Like, at you? At me, yeah. Because a lot of people in the office had uh, tickets to go home, and because they were close contacts, they couldn't fly, so they had to cancel their the Chinese New Year plans because of me. And I feel kind of bad about it, so now I have to buy them all lunch oh, because because they're like, hey, asshole. lunch, yeah, lunch. It's gonna solve missing their family they haven't seen in years because of COVID. Wow. <laughs> I mean, what what do you want me to do? <laughs> what, it's a gesture, right? Well, I think that's the whole point. I think, I mean, I don't know. What is your stance on this? Like, and I don't know what's happening in Singapore, Jangan, but like, is COVID over? Should we be moving on? Like, what, what, do you, what do you guys think? Oh, my God. It's so over. Can we just move on with life, please? Like, are we talking about, are we talking about like, an, uh, like our personal feeling or are we talking about like, you know, Pers- personal feeling. policy? Those are different things, no, right? I mean, yeah, personal feeling. I don't know, man. It's been... I think I think you're over, you were over it for months already. I think. <laughs> Dude, I've been over it since last year. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's so it's so ridiculous. Like, if you think about it, like half of the things they do don't really make sense, like scientifically or based off like popular yeah. consensus of policy. Like, if you look at what's happening and use like the U.S. as a baseline, people are saying that like, first of all, like the only masks that are really effective now are N95s, right? But everyone here still wearing. Oh. Like, cloth masks cloth mask, yeah. yeah exactly so i mean what's the point it's not really effective anyway but they're still doing it um and then all of these like travel restrictions like china has the most onerous travel restrictions and they still have omicron so those clearly don't do yeah. anything either um and at this point i think a lot of these people are just like they're committed right it's like oh we we've yeah. taken this position uh politically or socially or whatever and we can't back down now so we just have to like go like lean I, no. into it until no until... i think that's the that's the american that's the american view right i think here it's more of the fear mentality people just can't let go mentally no, i think it's the I chinese people, view too people, i think the chinese people are just scared i think i think people's sentiment changes from time to time so so yeah, so sure, i think that, sure. that that makes policy making difficult and also and also, I mean, you have different groups, of people with different opinions. So, so, so it's um, it's 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 hard to make everyone happy. So, I mean, if you look at the situation no. in China, uh, like one week everyone's complaining that okay, you have having too many restrictions, and the other week some other news came out saying that oh, uh, there's some like you no know, death toll in certain country. Then people say oh, we're glad the government is doing the right thing. So, so, so it's just um. <laughs> okay, wait. How much of this is actually media driven and actual populist consensus? I don't I believe populist the, consensus, but yeah. Yeah, I think in the US it's mostly <laughs> media driven. I think I think Yeah, no, that's true. I think everyone I know back home in US, everyone's over it. I just don't know any person who's like I, I mean like they have been so loose with mask forever. Even here, even though there's a mask mandate, we just don't talk about it. No one but everyone's loose with it too here. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, but I will say that even, you know, you, you, I mean, scientifically, whatever, blah, 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 but even a cloth mask does help. I haven't gotten sick in the past two years, which every year I always get sick, like, especially during the end of the year when our people are getting together. Right. So 
I mean, there there is some degree of, of, of it helping, I think. I think so. I think it's also a reminder for you to be more careful, right? I mean, because if you don't wear a mask, yeah, you sure. don't pay attention. When you, pay, when you wear a mask, you sort of That's true. That's true. subconsciously keep a distance from the people around you, etc., etc. I think that helps. But I mean, like, back, like, pre-COVID, getting sick was just like, oh, you get sick and you get over it, right? So, I mean, that's just, I don't know if we're ever going to return to that anytime soon, <laughs> you know? But, but that, that also probably that's because you spend a lot of time at home. Yeah, now, you probably spend more. I mean, you probably spend more time at home now nowadays compared to people before well, COVID, right? For sure. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But also, mm. I'm older. I don't want to get sick, so it's just <laughs> but that, worse that, when I get sick. That's the thing, right? It's a it's a disease, and you're going to get sick. You can't prevent yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah, trying yeah. to like maintain this policy of no one is going to get COVID is just unrealistic. Well, I mean, it, I think the policy is fine as long as the majority of the population's vaxxed, and it's fine. Which most people, people are at this point, though, right? Yeah, I mean, correct. like yeah. every country, every like the majority of the population, even the U.S., it's like eighty-five percent vaccination rates. Yeah. So that argument feel doesn't really hold yeah. water anymore. I feel we've given everyone a fair chance if they want to get vaxxed. If not, they're going to get it and have it worse, possibly. And I think that's that's their choice. We have to move on, right? So, yeah, yeah I'm I'm done just talking about it and hearing about it. Just people complain and rail about it too much. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I let's don't. just. Let's just start. Well, well, what was Let's the, just get started. What was the discussion about cancel culture? Just curious. You want you want to talk about that first? <laughs> talk about that first. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's recorded yeah. anyway, so. Yeah. Ah, yeah. you, you so, can do uh, just start. Why not? Yeah. Hello, barbarians, and welcome to the tenth episode of the LLB podcast, Low Level Barbarians from Asia on Asia with discussion and debate on trending topics with us, myself, Alex, typically your host of EOA, man of the high ground, Dave Chang. Hey guys. And uh, Jangan, the information super connector. Uh, Jangan, Hello. How are you? Hello. Good. Andrew G. Uh, Andrew G is coming. He's late uh, as expected, uh, but we're starting Stuck in anyway. <laughs> in somewhere in Mexico, yeah. <laughs> who knows what, playing Narcos, who knows what yeah. he's doing. <laughs> I have experienced the Mexico traffic, so it's it's, it's understandable oh, if he's yeah. indeed stuck in traffic. I'm sure. Oh, but isn't sure. he, is he in, yeah. in some like Pueblo somewhere? So it's yeah, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, more he's likely his donkey cart broke down or something. <laughs> bro, bro, you're, you're bound to get canceled. I don't, it's fine. <laughs> That's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about our Mexican viewership. So I'm pretty, yeah. I... <laughs> but anyway, what's first topic Jangan wanted to know about was, was cancel culture. I mean, me and you, Dave, we were talking about this. Uh, started started with the Joe Rogan topics, and I, I brought up the Whoopi Goldberg stuff. But I think there's some nuance between the two we were talking about, right? So, um, in general, cancel culture been pretty prevalent since 2014, starting with the Me Too movement, right? Um, that was when it was really about actual activism, actual protest and change, but kind of morphed into some kind of beast that people really understood over the past few years. And it's just used as a way to just deplatform people blindly. Right, just remove them from society, the conversation, especially in the digital space. Um, and I don't know. I think Dave, you have some viewpoints, especially what happened around Joe Rogan versus Whoopi Goldberg, and some differences there. And I don't know. Maybe later on, we could also discuss wider. How does that look for what we see locally in Asia too? I think you might want to explain to uh, to audiences here who Joe Rogan actually is. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it depends on what circle you listen to. I feel like if you're listening yeah. to podcasts in general, you're going to know Joe Rogan, right? So he's he's probably the biggest uh, podcast show in America, right? But if not in the world, world he's the biggest podcast in the world, in the world. right? Yeah. Right. 
so he has the widest audience. Uh, he's, he's a very long format. He speaks to guests for an hour to a few hours, right? Uh, and uh, they go, it's very, it feels very unscripted. Of course, I'm sure there's preparation and research done. It's like any production media company, you have a team behind it creating content and writers, right? So uh, helping you do research, but it probably, it probably for a large part, it's very genuine, authentic, uh, what he does. And he just talks to guests about various topics, very wide, right? Uh, and recently he's been in hot water for misinformation, I think was the, the first one, right? Where he was saying a lot of things about like COVID not being real and this kind of stuff. I, I didn't really get into the water with it. I, you know, I feel like media is driving a lot of the conversation, which I'm trying to avoid noise. Uh, but I think that's what the gist is. And more recently, he was called out for using the n-word but apparently he's been doing it for a long time across many episodes right so spotify removed like 70 episodes of his um so what happened was the woke mob wanted to cancel him right there was this big attempt to deplatform him but you know spotify stood the ground they kept him uh and he's still around i guess and it just didn't really work so i, I don't know dave what is your take on this i mean there's there's a couple things i think here with joe rogan specifically so <clears throat> To provide some context, he's always been, as you say, sort of like this unscripted uh, podcast format. I mean, he says he doesn't do any research, but that's actually a lie, or I think he's underselling himself. He actually does do a fair amount of research. If he has like a an author to. or like a like a, a scientist on, he will read their work and he'll he'll do some preparation, yeah. right? So I think that's a little bit disingenuous um, on his side. So just to build on your point, so what originally happened is he's always been sort of in the crosshairs of um what what probably called institutional media in the us because he has these um heterodox views on vaccination right so he he's like most probably well known in the last year for saying that he took ivermectin <laughs> which is uh for oh, yeah. for when he had COVID, right and then so so yeah. and then the the story basically happened here is uh the establishment media painted him as sort of like a bit of a quack snake oil salesman um and yeah. the, the narrative that they sort of pushed was that ivermectin is a horse dewormer and because he took this drug therefore what he says is unreliable and and can't be trusted where but what they kind of leave out is the fact that ivermectin is uh, first of all, he didn't take the horse version of ivermectin. There is a human version of ivermectin. So let's be really clear about this, right? Um, and the fact that, so that's number one. Number two, he was prescribed ivermectin by his human doctor. So not a vet. Uh, and number three, ivermectin <laughs> is actually one of the most prescribed medicines in the world for various ailments. So it's not no, no, um, no. a completely unreasonable for him to be prescribed ivermectin. Also, he took ivermectin as part of a cocktail or regimen of other treatments. So he wasn't saying just mm -hmm. take ivermectin and you'll uh, cure COVID. So that's, cured, that's yeah. yeah, correct. So he's always been sort of at, uh, sort of like at logheads with established media. Yeah. Um, and so what happened, I think like in the last couple of months is he had two guests on that were more on the controversial side in regards to the official US position on COVID vaccines. And that's sort of how this most recent um, uh, cancellation or this most, most recent incident came out. So I think really the story here isn't necessarily about Joe Rogan himself in the sense that of his views. I think what you see in the U.S. is that established media 
has been losing credibility and been losing power for probably the last mm, eight years, I would say, right? If you, if you look at sort of like, you know, the polls about like whether people trust uh, established media, uh, they, they've been losing viewership and they've been losing trust for a long, long time. And I think this is ultimately uh, about power, right? So Joe Rogan is the largest podcast in the world. I think each, uh, the numbers he has are ridiculous. I think like each session gets like 20 million downloads or something, which yeah. far, far out, uh, outstrips anything that like CNN, Fox, NBC yeah, is correct. doing, right? And I think they've sort of reached this crisis moment now that Donald Trump is gone and they don't have the Donald Trump boost anymore where they're doing everything that they can or anything that they can to sort of like reestablish themselves as an authority. And this uh, character assassination on the number one podcast in the world, I think is just sort of the, the tip of the, the first, they're like the first salvo, right? And I, I just want to say one more thing about uh, before I let someone else jump in is, you know, in regards to Joe Rogan specifically, the, the, the problem here isn't Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan is sort of in that elite category, sort of like a Dave Chappelle, where he's too big to cancel. Like you can't actually cancel him, right? Like even mm. if yeah. Spotify were to kick him off, he could just go start his own platform somewhere else and no. all, his, all his followers and all his viewers would go with him. It, it doesn't actually matter, right? The more pernicious thing is it's actually the second tier, third tier, fourth tier content creators, right? So if, this, if you set a precedent that the biggest podcaster in the world can be canceled, what does that say? about everyone else who doesn't have nearly the reach that Joe Rogan does. Like you were joking, like we're gonna get canceled, but that's like honestly the, the issue, right? Like if you sanitize and- Further down, for down the line. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's secondary, it's second worth, yeah, yeah down, the, down the line effects, yeah. right? If you say that Joe Rogan can be canceled, then that means anyone can be canceled. And that's like everyone, anything that anyone says is going to have to be this ultra sanitized uh, institutional version of the narrative and that's like the true pernicious danger of this uh, entire incident right so thankfully yeah. he hasn't been but i think people who who are advocating for his content to be removed for him to be canceled have to really think about what the implications are for free speech right if you care about free speech yeah. and so that's yeah that's what i'm that's what i'll talk well about. i think i think there's two interesting lines there in that uh, one one is talking about the machine of media Right. And then the other line is the whole free speech thing, because even even us being from where we are and the topics we have to adjust, we actually have to toe the line more carefully than other people, probably. Whereas if we're in America, we probably could just be all let out loose and say whatever we wanted. But, uh, you know, certain countries, you know, if this ever catches on the radar, we do have to be more careful. Right. So that, I think people take that as a privilege that they don't realize that they have or they don't really they have never lived in another context. So they, they just can't appreciate it. Right. Um, and I think the, the the piece about the you know how the machine works, you know, I, my, my question to that would be is like, do you think that's more towards optimizing revenue dollars, or, I mean, I'm sure there's a part of it's going to be this you know power play and politics and controlling narrative for for you know players in part of the machine but not running the machine, right? But uh, I don't know. I, my my gut feeling is that it's just maybe they're just following the system and they need to get the ratings, they need to get the advertising dollars, so they follow what's going to do that. And it's a vicious cycle that they they can't really get out of at this point. The way everything's built. Well, it's both. I don't. I mean, I mean, no. money and power are intrinsically linked in any society in any culture, right? I don't think 
that makes a difference uh, regardless of where you are. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, the other interesting thing too is also like, if you think, like Sabrina Whoopi Goldberg. So Whoopi Goldberg also kind of got canceled yeah. a couple weeks ago yeah. because she said some fairly insensitive things about the Holocaust. Essentially, she said that the Holocaust wasn't about um, race uh, because it was, you know, her 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 logic is it because it was white on white crime. Um, and no. then she was basically, she had to take a two week uh, break from her show, The View, which I think is a little bit funny because The View uh, is a fairly, how do I describe it? It's basically like the suburban why mom version of the all in podcast, right? <laughs> and, so, and they, and they're, they're, big, they're actually pretty big advocates for, you know, um, uh, what's what I'm looking for, basically uniformity in opinions. So their, 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 their show has definitely called for other people to be canceled. And so I think this is an interesting thing because it's a, it's an instance of like, well, the monster eats well, its own. If you build this, yeah, this yeah. machine and you build the system, if you build these, um, uh, precedents, right. There's nothing to say, there's nothing to prevent those same tools to be used against you at one point. And I think that's also a danger, right? If you, you know, what's really interesting was like many years ago, I think it was like 20, 30 years ago, the ACLU actually defended, um, I believe it was, I think defended the Ku Klux Klan because it's, it's, so it's a question of like, where does your priorities as society um, lie, right? The priority stack of your social contract. And there, at that time, you know, in this version of America, like 30, 40 years ago, the popular consensus was that free speech and the ability for people to engage in free speech and have dialogue was a higher uh, priority than, say, you know, preserving people's feelings, you know, if I'm being a yeah. little bit simplistic. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's that, that dynamic has really changed. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the court case. ACLU defends. Like, I mean, no, no. You, you, in that case, why can't you call a person fat when the person is actually fat? You can't. That's this is the thing. In the U.S. You no, can't no, call just, people just, fat anymore. No, but in, in, even in the past, you couldn't, right? It was much more acceptable. It was much. Well, more yeah, I think. Yeah, it was, the bandwidth was more. The yeah. bandwidth was more. I think. Um, Whoa. Oh, hello! Look at this guy. Look at this Tarzan. We found Indian, guy. Indian Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, guys? Long time no see. Good, man. How are you, sir? Yeah. Where are you now? Still in uh, Mexico City, CDMX. Ah, okay, cool, cool. Wait, the last time we spoke, uh, but I, 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 I think you have upgraded from basement to another basement. <laughs> this is true. Just keep moving basement. <laughs> Whoever will host me and not realize the brown Indian guy is, you know, underground basically. Yeah, hence, they, they hence think the you're hand, the you know? the cleaner or something. That's right. That's right. You, you actually do look quite local. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, so, so we're just talking about about cancel cancel culture and uh and yeah. i got fa fairly good because i'm I'm not been particularly following this um but i got really good lowdown from from alex and uh, and dave about i mean what's going on in the us with with uh the joe rogan uh, etc yeah. so and whoopi goldberg mm, whoopi goldberg as well the way i look at it um the way i look at it i i see two parallels i mean from my sort of sort of simplistic chinese i mean perspective i mean first is that uh the uh, the people around me, the intellectuals, um, they they tend to draw lots of parallels in history and uh, and 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 what they see with uh, with the movements in the West and the progressives and stuff, 
Um, there's lots of um, there's lots of um, people mentioning that that reminds us of uh, the Red Guards. I mean, the people who did the yeah. Cultural Revolution in 1966 mm, yeah. to 1976, and uh, they. I think at the beginning of the Cultural Revolution, they wreaked lots of havoc and uh, they silenced people, and um, and and basically anyone who, who who holds views which were not the same as theirs and would would get persecuted by them. But uh, but 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 what was funny and ironic and probably sad was um, was many of them would become persecuted by other groups who 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 who, who thought that their their views were too. Sort of um, unorthodox, so 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 they they they, they didn't create a chaos. Um, um, so yeah, so 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 that's something that uh, I mean, of 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 course, in in, in China, I think media is controlled, but um, but but I think many people have memories of uh, of the Cultural Revolution, and that this is something that they definitely do not want to get back to. Um, so 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 that parallel, uh, I think, scares people to a certain extent. Um, another thing is that uh, if you guys noticed at the beginning of COVID, there's this whistleblower doctor in Wuhan who passed mm. away at the age of yes, 34. Yeah. And yeah. he said this thing, there should be more than one voice in a healthy society. And, uh, and uh, that notion was, um, was basically, I mean, quite popular in China, uh, as well as I think it was, uh, was published by media globally. I I, th I think that's that's a good reminder of uh, I mean how do you keep a society healthy? Eventually, you you need to have different voices. Um, mm. The danger of, uh, of 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 having just one voice is that eventually everyone will become like Facebook, TikTok, right? I mean, you are only fed with things yeah. you want to hear, and everything becomes even more polarized. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what's interesting when I was researching this topic was that in even in China there is this. Uh, idea of cancel culture and people are using it but I think for China it's very different in that it gets further politicized to actual consequence where whole companies are being boycotted uh, you know from it's an, it becomes an east versus west kind of kind of thing right if you say something bad about China then you get punished by the Chinese consumer and Chinese social media does take it very far whereas I saw in Southeast Asia it tends to be more social issues if you say something wrong like a Singaporean blogger uh, you know, getting, you know, was, was, you know, getting canceled or tried to get canceled as Philippines happened the same. You know, I've seen similar, at least in Vietnam, something similar with car culture, where there's one girl who wasn't supposed to be traveling when they had zero COVID policy, came, came back and brought COVID and started the next wave, right? And there was like a big call out to that. Um, so it, it's, I think it's happening and it's a little bit different flavors everywhere. So, um, but I think it's just more symptomatic of, of, of the problems we're seeing and, and people are, are unhappy and there's unrest uh, with, with the big changes that are happening around them, right? And, and this is just a manifestation of it. So I don't know. I don't know. What, what are you seeing from your side, Andrew? Anything of cancel culture on your radar these days? I mean, I think there's two kinds of things we're talking about here, right? One is, you know, the Chinese style, which is where governments cancel things because they want to have control over um, overall messaging that, that community is getting. What you're seeing in the U.S. is, is like quite different, right? This cancel culture is coming from identity politics. It's this idea that absent some strong thing that people can rally themselves for, they tend to rally themselves around an identity. And when that identity feels threatened, um, they try to cancel it, right? Uh, they try to remove it. And, and a lot of this is like, it, it's, it's spoken of in a very positive sense. Like there's a lot of pride around minority groups, um, but pride denotes some level of threat, right? You can only be proud of something if there's some level of threat to that thing. And when there's threat to it, then you are reacting with some kind of counter threat. And that's like the roots of a lot of this cancel culture. But I think the Joe Rogan situation is very different. Like it's, well, it's, 
No, I was just thinking because I, I talked to your partner, Amy, in her podcast, and the one comment she made about China was that now that China's like the second world largest power, soon to be the first world largest power, their national identity and pride also is very much tied to this. And a lot of the government canceling, you know, for, for political reasons starts from social reasons, too, because people feel attacked from a Chinese identity perspective, too. So I would, I would argue it's not too far off from what's happening in the West, you know. Yeah, I, I would agree with Alex, and I also think that uh, I mean the notion about Chinese government canceling things is not true. There are things which never existed, and what do we mean by the government is canceling that? They just don't exist. Mm. <laughs> not true. Yeah. Sure no, the government didn't cancel it. They, they just don't exist. Yeah. Uh, uh, I who? see what you did there. <laughs> oh, see, I, I see, see, I see, I see, I yes. see what you did. Okay. <laughs> wow. Nice. What cancel culture? <laughs> I think that's yeah, a good move yeah. on. Smooth, no? smooth, both sides of the discussion. Nothing <laughs> to see here. But to be honest, yeah. the Joe Rogan thing is not about cancel culture. Right? The, Joe, the Joe Rogan thing is this whole so, like, yeah, yeah. The, it's like controlling the messaging on vaccination yeah. and what's the best kind of uh, treatment for vaccination. So I, I'm not sure okay. if it falls within the same ballpark. So, so, so there was discussion I had with the propaganda official in China a few years ago. I, 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 th I think casual, casual discussion. I was asking him about the about Google, why Google is not available in China. And uh, and his response is that Google's technology is not sophisticated enough to meet the requirements of the law of China. So therefore, they, they can't. Um, yeah, I, 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 probably a different kind of sophistication, but I, I could actually believe that uh, on a technical level, you know, depending <laughs> what the government wanted to do. Uh, also, interestingly, yeah. did you see that Cambodia is erecting the same type of infrastructure for Cambodia? They have an internet massive firewall too now, I think, that they're, they're starting for probably the same purpose as China, right? I just saw them in the headlines this morning. Um, when I was in Iran a few years ago, and uh, the, the funny thing about Iran is that they erected the wall as well, but the wall is not very tall. So you can, I mean, you, you can basically <laughs> download, download every VPN and get around it. Uh, yeah. So what I heard is that is the, is the government approached a few Chinese companies, including Baidu, to say that, hey, can you build a higher wall for us? And because mm. all those companies are US listed, nobody wanted to do it. Mm, interesting. So, so in the end, they had a very low wall, and uh, any VPN can bypass it. But if you look at war in China, it's just just crazy. I mean, it's it's, it's constant cat and mouse game between VPNs and uh, and the wall. Which is yeah, it's mind blowing the probably the amount of resources they have to put in to, to maintain that. I mean, um, it's it's, it's the same it, as the resources they put to 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 keep COVID out, right? I mean, just just that that true. that resolute is just crazy. Do you think this this kind of uh, control can be maintained long term? I don't know. Uh, I, I see the danger of that. I mean, I mean, um, so so I think the population generally want order and uh, want peace and want basically yeah. certain things to be taken care of by the government. But uh, but yeah. over the history, you would always know that. I mean, uh, sometimes there's a good leader and uh, he does the good things for the people. But the thing is that um, the thing is that because he demands absolute loyalty, and afterwards things become a little bit. Um, I mean, he becomes misinformed and detached from reality. Um, if you look at, mm, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not drawing any parallel to what's happening present. But if you look at history, um, if yeah. you many of the emperors um, did great things when they were young, but uh, became super stupid in their fifties and their sixties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I think that's the whole thing. Like democracy is extremely messy, especially during times of changes. But there are periods of time when central control happens and it, it just becomes highly efficient, right? But it just mm. seems to be cycling through these different systems and ide ideologies as we continue to progress, you know, 
you, you can also draw parallels in the West, right? If you look at Roman history, right? Occasionally, they'll have dictators who assume all the power. And yeah. uh, sometimes that right. passes back to, to how do you call those the kind of like elected rulers? Um, and, and sometimes they don't. So, so it's, Well, um, ironically, yeah. most, most of Western, Western infrastructure of you know, law, politics, systems derived from an, uh, a dictator, Napoleon, right? He basically wrote the playbook for all of Western Europe and a lot of which influenced America and what we're seeing today, right? But it all came from one guy who, who proclaimed himself emperor, but in the name of a republic, right? So it's kind of interesting. Hmm. Should we move on? Yeah, let's move on. So I think the col the corollary to that is uh, crypto, right? You know, we're talking about walls. We're talking about walls and people having control and dictatorships, but crypto, the, the decentralization, right? So uh, Jangan. Recently, Crypto.com has come across the radar. Uh, crypto.com, for everyone, um, according to the website, is a wallet. And their goal is to accelerate the world's transition to crypto. Right? They have a bunch of other products. You could think Crypto.com like kind of like a kind of banking products, but for crypto, right? Uh, and it was initially founded in 2016 under Monaco, according to Wikipedia, and the company was renamed Crypto.com after they acquired the domain. Um, they have a uh, I mean, they have a ton of ton of users at this point, right? They recently did Super Bowl ads. Uh, infamously, in January, they were hacked. They lost 15 million of Ether, you know, and a lot of users saw suspicious activity on their accounts. But I think the reason why it's coming up is because they're having this big push for global expansion. Um, Jangan, your recently your company was probably pushed by them, or you had some dealings with Crypto.com, and uh, you did a deep dive. Momentum Works team did a deep dive into crypto. Um, what are you seeing, and what did you learn? Uh, no, we 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 just uh, we're just doing a deep dive for a uh, for a group of investors who like us are too old to to understand what's going okay. on in Web three. So 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 <laughs> we did we did an exercise about. I mean, we are from the consumer mobile internet age, right? So so we're too old for yeah. Web three, etc. So um, so we did did some study about um, the sector, uh, the, the the exchanges, the wallets, uh, the NFT and stuff. Yeah. And 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 it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, the amount of um, the amount of activities there, the, the amount of different players that are doing different things in a sector, um, mm -hmm. specifically about crypto.com. So there's one question that everyone was asking, right? How do they get so much money without institutional backing? Mm. They have a lot of money. If you look at the activities they do, the That's advertising true. campaigns yeah. they I do. Mean, yeah. Crypto um, crypto has gone up in the last few years, right? As long as they had money uh, a few years ago, they probably would have just. Seen gotten the increase in that and then with the way DeFi is working a lot of these guys are also just taking that money and if you're starting with 15 million you're doing ridiculous returns on this i mean it, like it, it, honestly if you look at series a or seed rounds between crypto startups versus web2 startups it's a joke right a web2 startup struggles to get like a 10 million no. like uh, round and then you have crypto startups doing 15 yeah, million on their seed round and you're like what how does this even happen there's just so much crypto right. money chasing very few opportunities so not surprising that they've gotten the trajectory. Even still, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you guys probably know that the founders of crypto uh, crypto.com um, were the original gang of Insogo. Uh, so I have a lot yes. to say about this Jangan actually. You want me to go? You want me to go Dave, ahead? You, you have I'm, been I can silent, say Dave. You've been silent, and I want to hear this. I want to hear this. Let's well, go. Okay, so I it. I have some firsthand experience with Chris uh, Chris Mazuchak who is the CEO uh, of Crypto.com. So as, as John Gan had previously alluded to, um, Chris's story is he founded this uh, deal website in Hong Kong uh, called Be Crazy. 
at the time, right? And then he, I think this was in 2014. Yeah, around 2014, he hooked up with Patrick Grove and they did a deal where they took Be Crazy, they took Patrick Grove's uh, Daily Deal website, which was called Dealmates at the time, and then they bought uh, Living Social's Southeast Asia assets, which were predominantly in SoCo. So that's how I come to the picture because I was uh, managing part of Living Social's um, Southeast Asia business. And so what they did was they did a roll-up deal and, and the IPO that on the ASX uh, under this um, brand called the iBuy Group. So there was some, yeah. com there, there was some mm. this is all public record, by the way. So everyone yeah, can go Google that. this information. There's nothing, no secrets here. Um, and so there were, there were, there were some questionable tactics in the IPO itself, right? So number one, they had represented that they had actually acquired all the assets before the listing when in actuality they were using the proceeds from the listing to actually do the acquisition. So that, you know, that's, a bit qu that's questionable there. And then essentially what happened was, uh, you know, they raised a significant amount of money, actually. I think like all told they had raised around like 80 million USD. Um, and they had operated for about a year, but essentially what happened is about like a year, year half into it, they decided the operations were no longer tenable. So what they did was they basically went out and they shut down all the offices overnight, locked the doors, locked employees out, uh, disappeared. <laughs> didn't pay any of the vendors, didn't pay severance pay. Um, and then there was still about, I think at the time there was like 12 to 14 million AUD sitting in the corporate bank accounts in Australia. And theoretically, if you go into liquidation, right, it should, you know, be, yeah. that debt. should be, yeah, the debt holders should get all that. Uh, and it's been, I believe, I mean, it's 2022 now, so it's been eight years. I don't think anyone has been paid out and that cash balance that's sitting in that bank account has just been suddenly depleting sure. every year for some excuse called admin fees. And when Chris was questioned about this, uh, his excuse was something along the lines of, I'm just the CEO. I had no power. Say oh. So Sounds very similar to the Groupon story in China. <laughs> yeah. What's that story? Yeah. Oh, when, well, when everyone knows the story, this is all public. When, when Groupon China was shutting down, they basically did very similar tactics of locking the doors, hiding in the offices. But the difference what is the that hell? the Chinese mobbed the, the managers there instead. And, yeah. The, yeah, and they, were they were stuck in the office for a long time. Yeah, they, got, they, got, they were held hostage by the staff. <laughs> yeah, so, so don't, I mean, don't do that so in wait, China. Wait, that, that's know. his past though, Dave. Like, what do you think about what he's doing right now? Do you think it carries through? Look, I mean... I only have interacted with Chris like a handful of times, right? Right. But uh, I don't want to really get into like character assassination stuff here, but just between you and me, like I feel like someone's character is a character, right? Like if you're going to do something yeah. like that, it doesn't... It... Well, look, no, but I'm I'll, I'll say this. <laughs> I, I will say this though. Like I have come across unscrupulous types too, but they somehow get recycled back into the system and can rebrand themselves and come out Appearance-wise, looking squeaky clean and keep getting higher and higher, better jobs and more well-funded companies. You know, I've avoided some high-profile companies. I knew some people were involved with them, but these companies are some of the biggest names you will know. And uh, it just it's, it becomes very weird, you know, that they are seen as a pillar in a community when you know that you've heard some really weird stuff about certain people. But it's, it's possible in Southeast Asia that these people can turn a leaf, get back into it. Uh, whether they change, I don't know, right? That's, yeah. that's that, you know, you want a lot of people for growth and change for sure, but 
you know, it's, it's, it gets kind of weird that you still have to run in the same circles and may have to deal with them one day too. Right. And you know, this, right? so, um, mm, yeah, I, I, I spoke with a bunch of uh, crypto insiders and, um, and, and, and basically I got a very good lowdown about each of the exchanges, each of the crypto financial services companies, each of the crypto asset yeah. management companies, how they exactly make money. Um, yeah. so specific, specific to crypto.com, uh, they did ICO, uh, I think under yeah. the previous company name back in 2017, yep. I think raised about 27 Monaco. something yep. yeah, million dollars. And, uh, the crypto traders I've spoken to are saying that, uh, they are probably amongst the most aggressive in crypto trading mm -hmm. and, uh, and using some of the trading tactics, uh, tactics, which, um, which might be not allowed if you if you if you trade in regulated market but everyone does it they just seem to be doing better than and more aggressively compared to others mm. okay well i mean the, the other thing the other line you could say is that you could look at the track record you know from dave's story to and so go to <laughs> i mean there, there's a lot of well i mean so probably wasn't i mean they just didn't they couldn't compete right but i don't know if there was any mismanagement there i mean it might, uh, might be a similar story Alex, I think I think uh, I think back in Rocket Rocket days would have like you know discussions about two different profiles of personalities, right? I mean, some people are just more suitable for trading. Um, some people are just more suitable yeah. sort of, sort of building organization with people around them and uh, and keeping the people loyal and uh, yeah, so so being a good 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 people person. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this there's a couple things here. I will say, right? I I do think it's not a bad thing that in the industry people are allowed to fail and to come back and, and read that yeah themselves, right that they're not punished yeah, I mean, I for for a lack of success or, or whatever it's that, that's not what i was trying to say but I, I do think you know i think we talked about this before ultimately you know there should be a little bit more accountability in like you know how we all conduct yeah. ourselves and in our industry and then True. i think about this crypto the crypto space in general, like I, I found, I found like the recent events in the crypto markets to be super interesting. Because for me, this is almost like a the emperor has no clothes moment, right? And if you think about true. The, the promise yeah. of crypto, right, it's supposed to be like decentralized and it's supposed to be uh, like insulated from from you know what's happening in the general ecosystem and in the general markets, right? So in times of uncertainty where you know there's there's high interest rates or sorry high inflation in the US, we have sort of the like geopolitical issues in Ukraine and Taiwan. If this is if, if crypto is supposed to like be true to its promise where it's supposed to like this flat or hedge against these you know um centralized uh, issues and you would expect the prices to be all going up right but in actuality what you see is basically yeah. everything has taken a nosedive um and I, and I think it's it's just interesting because like oh it's sort of proving that this is truly just like a very speculative asset well and a lot of people holding this may yeah. not necessarily be you know the believers I, that they say they are yeah i think i think the maturation of crypto as an asset class does get there eventually but what you're seeing is just the second wave of noise getting cleaned up now, this is a very important point where I think that there's enough institutional money, enough belief in this, that where ideally this should be the floor. You know, hopefully if the t value tanks further, yeah, it's a bit more questionable, but I think it's harder for prices to tank even further, you know, at this kind of support level. It, it's just now it, as as more people get to it and better infrastructure happens, then, you know, then it just becomes more what you're talking about, where there's more nodes on the network and it's, it's more of a store of value. It's less, you know, then, it, then it's a different kind of asset cloud where people could use it to hedge and this kind of thing. But I think it's just too early, maybe. And that's the way I'm seeing it, at least. 
I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. No, no one cares about crypto. Okay, no. let's, let's move on. Well, Andrew thinks that's why I think Andrew's frozen. Like, look at his face. He hasn't moved. No, no, I'm here. Oh, yes, that's it. Okay. okay. I'm sure. That's how I was. Oh, you're there. Oh, you're okay. here. Sorry. Oh, there you are. There you are. Okay. Yeah. You had you were frozen really, for a second. Like, upset looking look on your face for the last this, like five crypto minutes. Thing, man. I just don't know. I just don't know where to jump in. You know, like there's just too much going on here. Like, um, I don't know. It's a, it's an exciting space. I mean, it's very like, noisy. It's a very noisy space. No, it's not just noisy. You know, what's interesting is like take crypto.com, the one that we're talking about. They have a 500 million, 500 billion, no, 500 million, 500 million growth fund, um, uh, like a VC fund that they just launched last uh, year. You've got, I think Sequoia has 2.2 billion right now. A16Z has their own fund. I think in total, you had like 30 plus yeah, billion right. in terms of VC funding. Um, FTX alone has a two point something billion dollar fund. Like, I just think the space is heating up and it's hard to really gauge where it's going. And yep. commenting about it is almost like speaking about the internet in 1985, right? Like, like sure, the internet was slow and you, you know, you couldn't send things over. And then even in the early 90s, it also sucked, right? You had GeoCities and pixelated cats. Like, it wasn't very good, right? Remember downloading a JPEG? You had to wait 30 minutes before yeah. you had the full thing, right? What we have today in terms of like yeah. TikTok, social media, the way we use these phones all the damn time, that's an evolution that took 30 years to go. And so to comment about it without fully, like like the rails are being built now, there is some level of idea of what it's going to look like, but I don't think we really understand where it's going to go. I think it's something that will definitely change the world, um, but it's really hard to gauge like where exactly it's going to go right now, right? But there's a bunch of innovations already, like just in terms of, um, you know, just in terms of it being a commodity, just in, in terms of its ability to do tracking, its ability to uh, store data, have contractual agreements on uh, on an algorithmic basis. I mean, all of us here have invested in some level of like crypto startups. So I think like, I think like, it's hard to really gauge where it's going to go, but it's going to blow up. And the the thing is like, these guys are just betting really hard on it. And I, I mean, I wish them luck. Uh, I, I, what? I, I do agree with this notion, right? I mean, we, we, we see things, I mean, you guys, um, if any of you have involved, been involved in enterprise tech, you would know this uh, Gartner's hype curve or whatever that name is called. So so basically yeah. you, you see things when a new technology happens and things get hyped up and uh, and most of the hype will die, most of the companies will die as well. But eventually, uh, because of all these actions, I mean, certain applications and get hold and um, and they actually show the fundamentally trans transform tech sometimes people's lives. So, 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 so definitely, and it's it's a bit hard to bet at this moment which one will will, will work out, but uh, but definitely something will come out of this sooner or later. All right, let's move on. Uh, so, Jangan and I were talking last night. Uh, CSEA company, the stock is in free fall, fa fast approaching IPO levels at this rate. Do we sell or do um, we hold, guys? I am, I am, yeah. As I said, continue, continue. Do we sell or do we hold? Do we sell or do we hold? Go on, Alex. Sorry. <laughs> or do you add? Do you add? Yeah. Or do you add? Yeah. Diamond yeah. first. Your first pyramid. Diamond hands. Lambos to the moon. <laughs> I mean, okay, continue, Alex. Sorry, we completely okay. interrupted you. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Free. Free. Free fire was. Is it free fall? Right. So India <laughs> missed an opportunity for fun there. Come on, Alex. You got to hit it with the fun. Okay, sorry. Well, let's, that's why you're here, Andrew. That's why you're here. You're here to help us. Okay, so but India has banned Tencent's extrovert, Green is Free Fire, NetEase's on Myoji Arena, Astrocraft, 50 more apps with apparent links to China, according to the 
TechCrunch article that we were reading. Uh, this has just been going on for a while, right? So this is based on national security grounds. Uh, so C, the, which is Free Fire, this battle royale game has over 40 million of its 75 million global monthly active users in India, according to App Annie, if you believe the data. Uh, you know, even plus or give plus or minus, you know, 10 million users, it's still a lot of user base from coming from India, which is now, you know, cut off from that. Um, you know, and it's, this is a really big thing because I think C is also looking at launching Shopee in India, or at least they're testing the water. So how, how does this kind of play out? Right. And the way I, I kind of see this is that, you know, since India, since the colonial times of the UK, um, and then them coming into the interwar period of coming off the gold system. Uh, they, ever since post-World War II, they've been very protectionist in mindset and very populist driven, right? And to me, this is like the extension of this, and it's set on a digital front in the technological sense where they're trying to protect India interest. At least that's the narrative, right? And in doing so, they have hurt themselves for a long time. You know, a lot of the, the manufacturing companies in India are not productive at all. Uh, it's very hard to penetrate for in terms of export. If you want to export to India, right? They they have very high tariffs, but of course, you know they're willing to take FDI. But this this has been the nature of India for a long time. You know, they, they, the people in the past year since 2014, when Modi uh, took over as prime minister, say it got worse. But it's been the trend for a long time, for many many decades, as you know, in, India kind of integrated into the world from you know post World War II. So. And I think that this is just, you know, continuing this kind of trend. And it's probably largely led by, you know, either populism or these kind of old ideologies that are stuck in the system. So I don't know. What do you guys, what's your take on this? How is this affecting, you know, C, the company itself? And what do you guys think for the Indian ecosystem? I just want to call out something before we, we get into the details. It's kind of crazy that this is happening six months later. Like, like six months ago, we were talking about the same thing happening in China, China clamping down on gaming. And now it's happening all over again in India. And I wonder if this is like a pattern that you're going to see globally among these developing economies that have some level of like strong central control or the ability to actually like um, crack onto these yeah. apps. Um, in India's case, obviously, there's a bit of a nationalistic sentiment as well. I wonder if it's a bit of a support for the nascent like gaming um, um, community in India. But yeah. on the flip side, clearly they are both they've both decided as an objective function that games are poisonous to children and therefore they need to do whatever is possible to remove them from these kids, right? Um, I think it's a pattern you're going to see. Is a that the narrative for India? I mean, to some extent, if you read the blogs and like what people are saying, that's generally the case. Uh, and mm. I, like, I, I think that's the, it's the same narrative for the both of them. And arguably the same discussions are happening in Brazil and Mexico and a whole bunch of other places. And if you have a few other countries with like plus 100 million populations do the same thing, Oof, it's going to be rough, right? Um, what's funny is it's coming from developing markets, not developed markets. So it's an, a very interesting, and theoretically, it can only come from developing markets. Like it has to be markets where they do believe that this is really that harmful, but they believe that there's uh, a strong ability for the governments to actually step into individuals' lives and actually take control and change these things, right? Um, um, I think it just means that gaming companies need to tread carefully. They can't get too big and they can't like the, the, it's a cash 22, right? You win by engagement. And, and right now what has happened is we've created a whole group of games that isn't about quality and depth. It's purely about how much time you spend on it. They've just taken the social media narrative 
and expanded on it. Basically, it's TikTok on steroids, it's Facebook on steroids, it's addictive, it's dopamine inducing, and you're on that thing just doing repetitive actions over time, right? Um, and, and it's and, most profitable too. Exactly. I mean, the fact that it's crazy that these games are free and you buy add-ons and people just spend money on them, right? And they figured out how to monetize it and they built marketplaces around it as well. Um, and so like this business model is incredible, but this business model, just like social media and the hate that Facebook is getting, is based off the idea that individuals are weak and their dopamine can be easily hacked. And therefore, if you have a tool that can hack that dopamine, you make money off it, right? And that's like kind of where China went with banning them. That's where India is going with this. And I think we're just going to see this pattern again and again. I think the one warning here is if you're a B2C startup, like stray away from trying to get people hooked uh, for the sake of being hooked, right? Because eventually someone's going to catch up and they'll treat you like a casino. If this narrative is true, why isn't more social media regulated then? For the same well, reason, fatty food isn't banned or alcohol isn't treated as badly as other drugs, right? Mm. Humans are short-sighted, right? Like alcohol is probably the worst drug that we know, yeah. yet we legalize it and we legalize it. So it's it. an easy target. It's an easy target. It's not social yet, right? It hasn't been embedded yet. And, and it's easy to like... Also, like in India's case, it's also about garnering votes, right? How many parents can you convince by saying we took that game away from your child and now your child's going to be a better student mm. next to us, right? So there's a there's a right, like, really nice way of pandering to the... Culture, culturally, it makes sense. Yeah. Culturally, it does make sense, especially when you believe in authoritarian uh, governments and you say like, oh, this is my, my lord and leader. Look at this guy. He's doing all these incredible stuff. And and if you look at, like, the, the BJP and, like, how they presented themselves over the last, like, few years... It's a very strong arm government that, that repeatedly tries to show that, you know, they don't give a F about any sort of cultural values. They just want to do what they believe is right for Hindutva, for Hinduism. And it's like a continuous thing that they've been doing, right? Like they, they've just been like continuously mm. like breaking cultural ties. And I, I don't want to get into the details of India, but like, you know, this like this like strong arm, iron fist, uh, we control things, we make things better for you, personality, it's just right within their veins. Hmm. I mean, Andrew, I just I'm curious, like this narrative about them banning uh, uh, Free Fire because it's sort of like a, a general crackdown on gaming. Um, why haven't they banned like uh, American publishers? Good point. Good point. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the easy argument there is you just do a ranking on, it... on Google Play Store and you see what's number one to ten and then you ban those, sure. right? That's, that's, the, that's the answer you're going to get. And it so happens that they're all Chinese owned. Yeah. Right? There's no Niantic game there. There's well, no yeah. Game there. I mean, well, again, it, again, it could again, be the reciprocation element, right? No, but it's free to play versus pay to play, right? Most American games you have to pay. There's no way you're getting free games. I mean, I, unless, I don't know, who wants to well, well, I mean, like, in, Indian companies can set up, I mean, Indian companies can set up in the U.S. and, and collect data on U.S. consumers. I, I don't know, is it very socialist in that they want it to be fair fair play on both sides, or? I don't know. Well, I mean, so this is interesting, right? So did you, I, I don't know much about this particular organization, but in December of 2021, this um, trade organization called uh the india confederation of all india traders the cait uh filed a complaint against shopee that it had essentially illegally entered the market um mm. and I'll, I'll send you guys the link to this later but and then there was they were saying uh there were questions about who the, the essentially the nationality of the who of the true owners of shopee and the way that it had 
Sam made it sound was this is both one sort of like a populist, as you said, like sort of a, a protectionist angle and also sort of like a nationalist um, angle. I don't know if mm. you guys have been following, but there's been sort of like a series of these um, uh, incursions or like skirmishes on the border of India and, and China in the, I think yeah. it's like the, the Nepal Kashmir region or the Himalaya region where essentially their, their soldiers will get into fistfights in the in the oh, mountains wow. and and there's actually been some casualties from this so i'm just curious the, with like yeah i think dave the the same confederation you've talked about and has done multiple protests and open letters or whatever against amazon so if you look at some of the mm. restrictions that the, that amazon mm. received in china many of them came as a result of uh, of the strong uh, industrial actions from from these guys and I think yeah. I, I think uh, was it was was it beginning last year or the year before? Um, Bezos was in India. I think maybe the year before um, um, uh, was India, and uh, these guys were holding protests everywhere. Yeah. Uh, fundamentally, fundamentally, I don't believe any of these organizations are sort of uh, ground-driven, sort of uh, you know democratically elected leaders trying to represent the interest of the traders. I, I think they are driven by big yeah. interests behind them. Uh, I don't know what these interests Thanks. are. Yeah. yeah. So. So, but, but 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 if you look at if you look at the uh, C's case, right? Um, Shopee is trying to get into India, and mm -hmm. uh, I think they have reason trying to do that because uh, because they look at the the, the, the biggest e-commerce players, uh, Amazon, uh, Flipkart. They are doing what a million, a million point one point two million orders a day, which uh, which which for Shopee is like ah, it's like a fraction of what we do in, in Indonesia. So. Um, so, 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 so they see opportunity, and also I think I think they recognize that in India you can't do cross-border uh, shipping goods from China because there are few companies who have tried that. They have all been banned or harassed by by, by the customs. Of course, they have great tactics. Cost too high too. Um, the cost, I mean, for certain categories, still makes sense. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah so. but 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 the thing is that the thing is that India doesn't allow um, foreign companies to 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 do retail. So basically, if you mm, yeah, if yeah, you have to, to sell it yeah. wholesale into right. India and find a proxy that, to sell yeah. it, yeah. So well, that's that's what happened with uh, Jabong, right? With uh, Rock Internet's mm -hmm. first generation fashion companies, it was such a weird structure where they had two entities set up for the fashion e-commerce. For, for India, yeah. where and, and there's a line down the warehouse where that one is one company for handling logistics and the other side was, you know, yep. the e-commerce arm and they had to pass it to each other. I think I think Amazon did something similar, right? They they have, have local proxies yeah. to do to, yeah. to be the to be the master seller on the platform. And there's this company called Clock Factory uh, from China, which which passes the account through a local proxy and when they're doing the cross border. But but back to shopping. So 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 they see they see that the market is um, um, is Big in terms of volume that has not been exploited fully by the companies, mm. and um, and uh, and if you look at the, the traction Michel has been getting, and so Shopee is saying that hey, what Michel is doing, we can do the same thing. Uh, why, why why can't we take part of this market? But but the problem is that I mean, um, in you know you know when it comes to to, to to this kind of big countries, you always have like two types of logic, right? And first is the business logic, and second is the political logic. Um, so. <laughs> So it works in, I mean, it works in China. It works in India as well, right? I mean, certain things that you, okay, mm. Tencent reduced um, its its, uh, its stakes in um, in 
in C. So, 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 so basically, sort of a relinquished control. I mean, or, or, or whatever, whatever potential control they might have. I mean, I think that might be enough to convince regulators in China that C doesn't have Chinese control. But, uh, but when you try to convince someone who just believes that you have Chinese control, and uh, and and for you to argue that 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 case is is extremely difficult. So, so I I don't see that they will have uh, even if Shopee manages to to penetrate into India. I, I think politically, I think they're they're going to have a hard time. Any any final comments before we move on to the last topic? Uh, do you hold? Do you sell? Do you add? So what's your sense? Oh yeah, we haven't answered the question. So wait, let's let's dive into SE in particular, right? So it's been on um, people these last few weeks, um, and uh, what's everyone think? So there's pressure from multiple ends, right? Tencent is coming out. Um, you got Free Fire being banned in India. You've got questions about their international expansion strategy and the ability to finance debt. So. How does everyone feel about the stock and what we should do with it? Well, there's one thing that we, me and Dave talked about was that their their cash cow gaming seems to be in trouble and they need to fix that. So because that, that kind of underpins the thesis we talked about bef- a few episodes before where that they're in a stronger position with lower cost of capital to keep you know throwing investments. And maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe they kind of had this foresight, which is why they raised so much money was because they, they knew there might be some headwinds like this, right? So, mm. um, you know, if, if that is moved out of the equation, you know, it's they're in a tough position, but they are well capitalized, but they have to really make e-commerce work, right? But, you know, that's very long tail still. So, I mean, one, one argument is that if e-commerce is the way forward, that's they still have a long way to drive more value, and then it's a long hold, right? Um, the, the other end of it is like, I don't know, depends, depends on your horizon of investment, but it's maybe they're not going to be able to pull it off. Maybe they run out of money or this kind of thing, or, you know, they can't print as much money on the public markets. Right. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Dave, you want to do first? <laughs> I mean, I think this is ultimately a question of like, for me, it's like a question of like catching a falling knife, right? You're never going to catch the falling knife. And I think it's foolish for anyone to try and do so. I, I For me, actually, I think mm. at these prices this is something that i would actually look mm-hmm. at because ultimately i do because so my thesis is still the same right i believe in sort of like the southeast asia growth story i believe that this yeah. will be a huge region going forward and i think that like of the companies that are operating in the space Shopee is still in my opinion probably the best position out of all the major players mm-hmm. right so if that yeah. is your thesis, then I think this is something that it's getting to the point where I think I would seriously look at it, right? But the question is like, do you buy now or do you buy in like another I mean, four no. or five months when maybe it'll go a bit lower? You know, I, I think that that question is probably something you, you probably shouldn't bother if you're just like a yeah, normal correct. investor and not like sitting here and trying to like trade I, something. I mean, mm-hmm. re- relative to the peak, I say it's good. It's good enough, even if it drops further. You know, if you think long term, your thesis is correct. I think it doesn't matter too much. So, do you think there's and a possibility here that banning free fire is just to stop the expansion of Shopee into uh, into India? And then I buy that story more than yeah. uh, the narrative, narrative gaming. Yeah, that was my original. Could be right. And so then you think all the other games are just Same. collateral damage or like warning shots? They're like ten cent. These are warning shots. <laughs> um. Because India is their biggest market, right? For Free Fire, is it? It's India, then Brazil, Mexico. Not yeah. the biggest market yeah. in terms of revenue. Yeah. Not the biggest in terms of revenue. In terms of users, the biggest, yeah. Users, users, yes, yeah. Yeah, entirely possible. Huh? Go ahead, Jengan. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Jengan. Is, is, is there a delay of what Andrew is saying? Or, or I'm an old... Slight delay. Slight, Slight delay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm I think actually on the moon. It takes eight minutes. I, 
<laughs> Sorry, Dragon. Can you see the Great Wolf on the moon? <laughs> <laughs> the American flag isn't really here, by the way. Just letting you know. <laughs> please, please, don't don't pander, don't pander. <laughs> yep, yep. That. So, so, so. So the, the way I look at it, um, they are very ambitious. Uh, they want to conquer all the markets, and uh, where I mean, they believe they have the opportunity because competitors in many markets are are weak. Um, so uh, strategy-wise, I don't see any problem with that. I mean, if I look at some of the investments they have been doing in Southeast Asia, investing in logistic infrastructure, investing in food delivery, I think these are fundamentally good investments because um, because pure sort of marketplaces, e-commerce, they are not they're not going to be very defendable because Lazada will always be there. Uh, I mean, Alibaba is not going to say that oh, we're going to shut down Lazada or whatever. So, 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 so they're making the the, the right strategic moves. Um, the, the question is the question is all this expansion, all this investment. Needs lots of money, and um, Free Fire is probably now the, the only like a strong cash generator for them. So people have been talking about whether they have a, another blockbuster coming coming out, or 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 like NetEase, right? I mean, create like a, a series of um, medium mediumly successful uh, games, which collectively generate lots of um, lots of mm -hmm. cash for them to fund all this growth. The, the the problem at the moment is they can't. So 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 they will be at the mercy of the the market sentiments and. Uh, and, and and now the sentiment is definitely bad. So so I'm holding, but um, but I'm not adding. So so uh, so uh, and the things yeah. that we look at adding, we look at buying. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to buy at the bottom if your thesis is long term, right? Correct. Yeah. Wait on yeah. wait until the the Q4 results to be announced because there there are some speculations that e-commerce growth is slowing down in Indonesia, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And wait mm -hmm. until you get that clarity and uh, and and make decision. Ultimately, I mean if if it you don't need to be at the bottom to to, yeah. to buy it. What, mm. what what is your what is your guys' take on the business model for these kind of gaming companies? Because it's highly performance marketing driven, right? And we're seeing the performance marketing landscape shift with Facebook and Apple's privacy. Do you think that's going to affect these kind of gaming acquisition strategies, or they could just spread it to other channels now that are just as maturing, like TikTok? Or yeah. what do you guys think? I think this particular topic vis-a-vis -vis gaming is, it's basically Apple's move to capture more of the advertising dollars, right? So before mm -hmm. most of the app install budgets were going through Facebook because, uh, so for those who don't know, basically uh, Apple changed the privacy settings where basically they only allow first party tracking on their platform. Um, and so this has actually uh, significantly hurt Facebook's bottom line. Uh, as, as I saw in their like, Q4 announcement or whatever the most recent announcement was, they basically, they were saying that this has um, cost them $10 billion in top line gross revenue. And a lot of that is from the gaming sector, right? So ultimately, I think in the competition between the Apple and change and tracking, it's, it's more of a Facebook question. Um, I think what's much more interesting with this is what's happening in the US around uh, actually, sorry, in the EU, in the EU and in Korea around Apple's app store fees, right? So there's been a lot of regulatory pushback about how much yeah. Apple is charging. So they're charging 30% of all transactions that go through. And so in Korea, I think they recently just passed a new um, law stating that uh, the app store has to offer an alternative payment option that's not through yes. the app store, right? And I think similar legislation is going through um, or similar competitions happening in the EU right now. So I think actually um, for the gaming industry, this might be a, a huge boom because if you don't have to pay a 30% tax on your, on your revenue, then 
that's a huge well you could just you take that you take that margin and you put it back to the same machine which is just you know performance marketing to get more exactly yeah exactly yeah so you don't think uh it has the like you know acquisition strategies will change for this business model then I mean, the acquisition strategy will change, of course, because the platforms you use will be different. Instead of going through Facebook, yeah, you have right. to go through first people with first-party data, so like Google and yeah. Apple and whoever else, right? But I think because we're talking about like gaming as a sector as a whole, I think like yeah, they're sure. well positioned uh, in the, at least in the near future. Yep. I don't know if they use a lot of performance marketing. My theory is like a lot of these games require a critical mass of friends, and so it actually is quite highly organically driven. Because like with Free Fire, PUBG, these free-to-play games, you're trying to play with your friends. Um, and so in the beginning, it's a lot of performance metrics and it's a lot of ad networks. Um, but, but so let's, let's break this down, right? First of all, when it comes to performance, um, for pure mobile installs, ad networks on Android are actually superior to Facebook and Google metrics because like you, you – like, one, there's a lot of earned ads that they have. So, you know, if you have Shopee, you can show installs to other apps, vice versa, right? So basically, like, as long as you have an ecosystem of, of, um, of apps, you can move people between those apps a bit easier. That's technically, like, a lot cheaper than using other kinds of paid media. Number one. Number two is, like, they have, like, very strong networks uh, with other kinds of apps that are popular for other reasons, whether they're games or, you know, like fancy clocks or like weather apps or whatever and people use these things and you get those installs so there's cheap installs coming from these networks which are outside of facebook and google and they're primarily an android market right android tracking is not affected by the apple news right if you think about where free fire pvg and all these games play they're mostly 90 percent android markets then you break it down to another level which is um how do they actually grow and where are they right now in the first two years maybe there's a lot of performance marketing but once you reach a critical mass like these the, the people that are playing these games are mostly 12 to i don't know 24 year olds I'm just like throwing a number there, right? Like, I don't know where it, the cutoff happens, but I assume if you have a job and you're 24, you're probably not playing too much Free Fire. But if you are, then, you know, well, let's say, let's just interrupt. You'd, you'd be surprised. You'd be I surprised. would be surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised, actually. <laughs> I'm seeing surprise faces just in this quadcast, so maybe maybe I'm I'm very wrong. Let's say 12 to 35. Let's go with 35. <laughs> okay, that's so, probably more accurate. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so basically, I think, uh, well, like, in those ranges, people yeah. are just like, you know, eight out of your 10 friends play it. You have to be like playing it as well. Right. So it's just like organic installs at some point. Well, I, I my, yeah, my, my, my thought is that the, there's a, there's a life cycle of profitability for each game. And then by and large performance drives all of it. But I think if you get a viral factor and it just lowers your customer acquisition <laughs> costs. Right. So, but by and large, I, my understanding of talking to people who, who had to execute on the marketing side for like, you know, games and stuff, it was. Like the main engine of growth is always um, performance marketing. It's just, it just, of course, of all performance marketing, it just becomes less and less effective over time, right? So, but I, I don't know. I'm not really. I've never done it myself. So maybe, maybe you're right. So. Nope. Yep. Yep. Next. Okay. All right. Last topic: delivery hero numbers. Uh, delivery hero earlier in this month. Uh, well, we saw a really big drop in share price. They lost. How much did they lose? Right, it was something like thirty percent, a quarter of its value. Yeah, yeah. it's like a quarter of its value to fifty percent. Maybe by now, fifty percent. I think forty percent um, or something. Yeah, forty percent. Yeah, uh, they disappointed on profitability outlook. I mean, the larger this, you know, because coming off COVID tailwinds, things are opening up again. Um, their revenue was up, but the question is always a profitability, right? The cost 
was uh, they had a lot of issues. So I guess the big question for this, you know, in terms of Delivery Hero and food, Food Panda, all the ones that we know, right? Is is this, you know, due to them investing in the gorilla space? Is this really a justified investment or are the actual economics just not healthy? And was, you know, is that indicative of the actual share price? So I don't know, what, what did you guys take on the Delivery Hero numbers? Uh, Jangan, why don't you tee us off from here? Okay. Uh... <clears throat> We, we actually did some, I mean, um, assessment about food, mar- uh, food delivery ma- market in Southeast Asia, and we do that a- a- every January. So, so we published the numbers. Works, uh, right. Yes, we published the, the numbers. On, can I share screen, actually? Can try. Yeah. We can try. Yep. So, so, so basically, we published some numbers um, be- in the beginning of the year. Um, What's interesting in Southeast Asia, and and by the way, we're fairly confident with numbers we got. I mean, we spoke with lots and lots of people on the ground and did lots of um, sort of uh, um, approximation of data and the calibration. So we eventually came out with the with the market shares and numbers that everyone find acceptable. So um, so our sense is that a first grab is half the market. Um, uh, I think seven point six billion uh, GMV. Um, Food Panda has grown by thirty percent to three point four billion and thirty six percent, I think, to uh, from two two billion. So so basically everybody's growing, um, and then of course there's Shopee Food. Uh, what we find interesting is that uh, the way that everyone drives growth is is, is different. So, so 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 the way you look at Grab, I mean, they are almost sort of, um, I wouldn't say confining, but uh, but they are very very well positioned in the premium market in all the cities. I mean, all the capital cities in Southeast Asia, where we did uh, did the consumer interviews, and uh, mm. the the middle class and above consumers uh, almost always prefer Grab to their competitors. But then we look at the market share um, uh, in, in in many countries, especially Malaysia. Where actually Food Panda is actually bigger than Grab, so so that that's that's not really co- correspond. Hmm. So so what is happening? Um, and and they, they will look at Food Panda's coverage. This is interesting. They basically went to all the cities in all the countries in Thailand. They will uh, they have coverage in all the seventy seven provinces before Lyman had coverage in the, uh, to to that extent, yeah. in Malaysia they are in basically all the towns. And I was um, I was in Langkawi in December, and in a, in a small village called a uh, uh, Kampung Ulu, uh, Malacca, something like that. There are four, four food panel riders there delivering food. So 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 that strategy, um, of course, um, gives them sort of volume coming from different places. I think they are also in Cambodia, Laos, and uh, Myanmar. So so very very top uh, top line driven growth. And uh, as a result, I, I think their volume is it's it's probably high. But um, but but my question is that uh, whether whether this approach is defendable, right? When you are available everywhere, but in the capital cities, you are behind your competitor. Yep, yep. So so this is what we did. Um, in, in Vietnam, um, of course, I mean small market, um, but Delivery Hero has buy in, which uh, which captured quite a bit of market share from Shopee Food, the the the, the long term dominant player there. Um, in the Philippines, they are, they are more or less um, at the same level with Grab. In Malaysia, they are ahead of Grab. Um, in Thailand, because of that incident of firing a, um, a, a employee, right, who went to the protest, they actually did lose quite a bit of market share because of that. But also because um, towards the end of the year, you know, Thailand launched these uh, 50-50 programs that the government will subsidize half of the, of the, the, the amount that the consumers pay to food delivery. 
Um, so, so Grab and the Lineman got plugged into the system, and Footpanel didn't. Um, no idea why, but I guess um, knowing how the tech is is done is probably because they didn't have enough time to to prioritize um, the government appointed payment method. Hmm. Hmm. But here's the market position. Um, nobody's making a profit yet, and people are still sure. going for. I mean, if you look at all the players, the 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 EBITDA margin is improving, but nobody's making a profit yet. But if well, even if they do make a profit, GMV, uh, this would be a low margin. Right? So when you say grab is seven point six, are you adding both or is it just delivery? Uh, just just a food delivery. I didn't wow. include um, groceries. So I actually grab is groceries. double of food panda for food. Mm. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised, right? Grab is has Indonesia. Uh, for those listening, seven point six billion versus three point four billion. A uh, grab versus Food Panda. Hmm. Gotcha. But yeah. but of course, uh, we look we look at the numbers from Delivery Hero. Uh, they they will include the numbers across Asia, right? That will include Korea, <laughs> Hong Kong, yeah, and um, and Taiwan, and of course Pakistan, Pakistan and Bangladesh. Um, it was interesting that uh, they had announced the numbers for Korea in 2020, not in 2021. In 2020, Korea was doing 12 billion euros GMV. Wow. So, so that year was 70% of uh, Delivery Heroes Asian business. And, um, and if, if our number is accurate, uh, the Korea share of uh, Delivery Heroes Asian business is more than 70% for 2021. Hmm. Did you did you look at the rate of growth? Because I mean, we're just looking at Shopee, which really hmm. came up on the the radar in the past year, and it's already doing as much as Lineman, which has been around for years in Thailand, right? Uh, yes, and uh, and I think Shopee is doing about a million orders, probably more in Indonesia a day. Wow! So, so similar to what Amazon does in e-commerce in India, by the way, <laughs> in India. Um, but also, what's also what's very interesting is that it just shows that this is not going to be a very winners-take-all market because you know, look at Deliveroo—they've been surviving so long in in Singapore, and it just means that the margin will get smaller and smaller over time for all these players as things you know converge, the right? Deliveroo has been losing market share. Uh, I, th I think I remember the last year was about 23, 24%. And this year, it, it dwindled to 12%. And on the road, visibly, you see fewer Deliveroo riders. Um, one thing they have been doing to compensate this is to, is to I, I think they invested a lot in, in relationships with the, some, of the, some of the good restaurants. I think they probably reduced um, the, the cohort of restaurants they have, but they really, really invest in, in making sure that restaurants which do work with them and get, get, get yeah. the best out of it. So, um, yeah. but, but you never know because, um, because you, you know that um, deliver, I think Delivery Hero has a stake in Delivery Rule. So, so some kind of consolidation is always possible. Well, I think that strategy works really well in a market like Singapore because everyone is quite affluent. And like, if you look mm -hmm. at cities like in New York, yeah. uh, they don't use a lot of the pe like you know elites don't use the, the mass aggregators. They'll pick the ones with the best restaurants with the best quality with the best mm -hmm. kind of experience. So, and there's room to kind of segment those kind of things in a more mature market. Whereas maybe mm -hmm. other markets, you know, mass aggregation is the correct model to go in the short term until things kind of catch up economically, right? So you get different flavors mm -hmm. possibly. So yeah, we we, we actually did, uh, did did some simple analysis about the uh, the cities in different countries, how they are different, and um, because one question which which we got asked a lot is that uh, I mean, why is DoorDash doing so well? And um, 
and, yeah. and and one thing is that they are actually doing a lot of. I mean, they are not com competing as much as their competitors in New York, where it's very yeah. dense, where you, you you can have the volume. Yeah, correct. But but yeah. in the US, you have lots of people in suburbs, and during COVID, I mean, um, you can have a high order sizes for dinner that that, that, that people are ordering. So so that's a segment that they managed to penetrate, and that same segment probably doesn't exist in most part of Asia that we live in. Yeah, yeah, correct. So, Jangan, what does your logic tell you with the them missing their their earnings estimates? Is is this them investing, and or is it just not strong economics? I think uh, I think they have been told by investors to focus on the top line. So 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 all this all this growth into the smaller cities, into more markets, it's um it's, it's geared towards top line growth. And if you, if you look at what happened in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic, and both Grab and Gojek were actually quite restrained in in, in promotions in the food delivery sector um, because mm -hmm. they, 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 they were gearing towards IPO and they learned from WeWork. So, mm -hmm. so, so, yeah. so, so, so they were trying to rationalize. And, but that was a time when Foodbanner came in aggressively acquiring the users, which is, which is a rational strategy because at that time we tried to you acquire know. additional users. The CAC is low. The customer acquisition cost is low. So, so you, you end up having lots of users. But 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 the question is that I mean, um, how do you build it's something sustainable out of that? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I don't know. Is that does anyone have a take on that? Then do you, do you think? Because I mean, it feels like a lot of these food players are trying to push into the fifty minute deliveries that we talked about earlier, and mm. I, I don't know. Um, I I, I recently talked with Blake, our our bestie from Easy Taxi. He's the MD for Lala Move, right? So he he was basically responsible for the whole international expansion to Asia and now US, uh, where he's now based. And he's been trying to scratch his head. Like, so Lala Move is the perfect corollary for the logistics arm for these kinds of deliveries. So he's thinking about this problem every day. And he couldn't figure it out for US, where there's you no know, lack of density, very high cost. He says there's possibly demand, but I don't know. Our discussion was that maybe it kind of makes sense more for the European markets where there's very dense centers. Maybe for China, it makes sense too. Latam and works. Latam has incredible unit economics and density. Yeah. Yeah. But for US, I think it's a big struggle so it, it, maybe this model makes more sense globally outside of you know a big country that's spread out like us i don't know yeah. I, mean, I mean if you look at china um, uh, miss fresh and uh, didn't know myself both are us listed companies you look at the economics and uh, they have not exactly proven this model um that can be profitable so so so, so i mean the big question is that can anyone prove that grocery can be done online in a profitable and sustainable way <laughs> well, I, well, I think that's different for U.S. markets where Instacart has focused on the, the healthy aspect of where it's big enough to make it work. Other countries I'm very skeptical about, though. No. I don't know. But Andrew, you're a user. I mean, you actually use it a lot. So maybe maybe you have a better take on this. I, I don't know. Well, I don't like go groceries on one? apps and stuff. What do you mean? Both um, groceries or 15-minute deliveries are kind of somewhat interrelated. Dude, right? I, I think there's a, like, same thing I said in the last podcast we had, right? I think the unit economics works because of the pandemic. Um, whether or not it lasts for the long run is questionable. But um, I think there is a model where this stuff... Does that mean you'd be shorting these companies? No, no. Like, I, I think there's a model Would you short where... Uber? Would you short Delivery Hero? Dude, it's a it's a catch win two here, right? One is one is there's there's sufficient like yeah. retail support for these stocks that they will you know they will do okay over time, right? Um, and then the question mm -hmm. is like, will most yeah. people move towards having their food delivered to them um, 
whether they are at, at work or at home, regardless of whether it's a, a work from home kind of situation, right? I think the world will move to a model where more and more people want to eat at home. Um, and so when that happens, the question is like, who are the winners and how do you bet on them? I think these these platforms do have a have a uh, like a chance. It's just hard to figure out who's the winner. All right, guys. Uh, Dave, you haven't said anything about this. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that's a. T- I mean, just uh, I just have one point. So I was actually reading about this. Interestingly enough. I think it's the difference between like food delivery and instant uh, sort of quick commerce. Did you guys know that Joker loses 159 US dollars per order? <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, I'm not so, surprised. Sorry, sorry. But like, gross or net? No, but uh, that's a great question. You're, to, you're including marketing costs as well. It doesn't. You're, you're including marketing costs. Yeah. Are you including yeah, headcount? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those no? numbers. Those numbers. Uh, I believe those are not including, it's direct costs. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think it includes, yeah. so it should be like logistics marketing, uh, but I don't think it includes like the cost of like the marketing person's salary. The last company that I heard economics like that what was that Singapore company honest, honest B had, had very similar numbers for delivery. Yeah, for yeah, exactly. And we, we know how that story went out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't have much to say on this particular topic, except just to toss a data point out there <laughs> I'll leave you with uh, that. The, the, the question is that from, from an investor point of view, what, 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 what are you looking in this kind of companies? And, um, because I mean, it's, it's very hard to make an economics work. So, so I mean, how, how, how does it make sense? Well, I don't think it makes sense, but I've always been very, you know, I, I feel like I've been very consistent in my, in my take on that, these quick commerce companies and grocery, delivered on the internet does these companies still make sense to me i don't understand why we keep you know trying to do the same thing over and over again so i thought you're asking the wrong person do, 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 do you believe that someone will eventually figure out how to how to do how to do delivery on uh, sorry how to do groceries online and uh, and that there's a strong sense of fomo here going on <sighs> i think what happens Okay, well, so never say never, right? I mean, given the long yeah. enough period of time, of course, it'll eventually happen, right? But I, I think yeah. what I think what happens here is people, you know, get too seduced by like the market size and yeah. the narrative, yeah. right? And I think people get, you know, I don't say greedy because that's probably a bit simplistic ways of phrasing it, but you know, like people are always going to come back because just because the market exists. Or just because it can theoretically be done doesn't mean it should be done. I think is is where I'm going with this one, right? So I think, mm. you know, this is people trying to solve a problem that doesn't truly exist. Well, I think you you do create a new category, but it's just not as big as evaluations are right now. Like, it, I mean, technology brought in this. There will be a percentage of people who would like this, but maybe it's just not the TAM that it's not it's not the whole grocery you know ecosystem yeah. market system, right? That that's what it is. So. Just venture too much venture money chasing valuations that don't exist. Yeah, yeah or the same thing with Dave says essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. so, uh, speaking of which, uh, Alex, a, 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 a bit of a, a bit of thing that we might want to talk about uh, next time. So um, you know about all this mm-hmm. social commerce and community group by companies, right? Yeah. Go ahead. There's some sh- there's some shift there, and uh, we know that one of the I think best funded Indonesian players can't sustain themselves. Uh, they are they're probably on the verge of shutting down. But on the other hand, Ooh, you have okay. um, you have some Chinese players which got lots of funding, but couldn't prove the business model in China. Still have uh, 
a lot of money left in the bank account. Actually, just went, just just went into Indonesia and started mm-hmm. building business there. So, so it's a very interesting dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about that next time for sure. Yeah, um, for sure. I guess we we can leave it here, guys. So thanks for a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's Bye-bye. see. Let's see what Andrew's hairstyle become next time. <laughs> he'll be, he'll be bald. He'll be bald. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah. Ciao, guys. This is right. awesome. All right. Okay. Uh, Bye, did, guys. Did, Bye. Did you guys? Right. Did you guys hear about Pelot, the Peloton CEO? Yeah, he had to resign. <laughs> well, then no, the new one. The new one. No, what happened? Uh, to the new some one? old guy, sixty-seven-year-old Barry Barry McCarthy. And yeah. He's refusing to move across the country to to run the company. I think it's cool.